are listening to a sermon from Sojourn Church in Fairfax, Virginia. We hope that this is an encouragement to you, no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey. If you're not already, we would encourage you to connect to your local church. If you'd like to find out more about Sojourn in particular, please visit our website at sojournfairfax.com. May God bless you now as you listen to the preaching of his word. This morning we're going to read from 1 Peter 2, verse 11 and 12. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, good morning. You guys can go ahead and grab your seats. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors at Sojourn, and it's good to gather with you once again in this joint sermon series that we're doing, uh, in this joint service that we get to partake in today. We're going to open up God's Word now and dive into it. We're going to take communion at the end of our time of the preaching of the Word this morning. So if you didn't grab communion elements yet, you can find them over here or back over this way. So make sure you do that before we get to that point this morning. But before we dive into 1 Peter, just want to spend some time in prayer and ask God to bless this time. So would you pray with me? Holy God, we acknowledge the fact that we need you every moment of every day, every second of our lives. We need you right now. We are desperate for you, God. We're desperate for you to reveal yourself to us. We're desperate for your spirit to work in us and through us. We're desperate for you to transform us to be more and more like Jesus. God, our world is a mess right now. Guys, we pray because we know that this is not our home, this is not our hope. We pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, we pray that you'd fill us with your spirit even now, that we would receive your word and that you would transform our thinking And as you transform our thinking, you transform our hearts. And as you transform our hearts, you transform our lives. And as we leave this place today, God, would you send us out as kingdom citizens to make much of Christ with anyone we come in contact with, anything we encounter this week. Help us to be who you've called us to be. Work in us and through us today, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. You and I live in a word-based world. There is power and influence in written word and spoken word. Information is communicated by words. And we can look back over various points in history and see the impact of the spoken word or written word that continue to transcend time. You can look at things like Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech or his letter from Birmingham Jail or Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. There are specific quotes and phrases that have impacted culture over time. Things like, in this world, nothing is certain but death and taxes. Or maybe you've heard the one from FDR, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Or for the baseball fans out there, it ain't over till it's over. Maybe you've heard this one that's attributed to Oliver Wendell Holmes Sr., the famous 19th century physician and writer and poet from Boston, he said, some people are so heavenly minded, they are no earthly good. Some people are so heavenly minded, they are no earthly good. What's Holmes saying in that? 
simply this, that he believes that there are Christians whose minds and hearts, whose head and sights are so set on heaven that they are essentially worthless here on earth, not caring about or doing anything while they're here. Is that true? Is that, is that the reality? I mean, last week we talked about the glorious truth that the kingdom of God is coming in full when Jesus comes again, that the kingdom of God is tomorrow, this reality that the kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of God, where Jesus will rule and reign forever. And because of that truth, it gives us hope to patiently endure the difficulty that you and I encounter in our lives today. This place is not our home or hope. And one day Jesus will come again to make all things new. So is Holmes right then? As, as followers of Jesus, as the life that you and I are called to live, so set on future glory that we are essentially worthless to our world right now. Is he right? Well, we're in the fourth week in a six-week sermon series called Kingdom Citizens. And we've been seeking to both understand what is the kingdom of God and how does that impact the way we live our lives here and now. We've defined the kingdom of God as the redemptive reign of King Jesus. The redemptive reign of King Jesus, begun at his birth, fulfilled at his return, and enjoyed by his people. And so as we jump into our text this morning, what we're going to see is, is that Holmes completely misses the point. He completely misses the point. It isn't that we are so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. It's that as a kingdom citizen who's striving to follow King Jesus, the life that you're called to live is a life where you are so heavenly minded that you are of great earthly good. You're so heavenly minded that you're of great earthly good. We're gonna talk about that this week and next week. And so my hope this morning is that together as kingdom citizens, people who long for the king to come again, that we would be zealous for good works here and now. That we would strive together to spread the word of the king and the influence of his kingdom among our neighbors and the nations until our king comes again or calls us home. So with that, let's dive into 1 Peter chapter 2. Let's see how we're called to live in light of the kingdom of God. And may God bless the preaching of his word this morning. First Peter is a letter that's written to struggling Christians. People who are called to, to live in this world, but are finding themselves being challenged by that, having difficulty with that. They're spread out all over the place, marginalized in a world that's set against God and the gospel. Kind of seems like our world in some ways today. We have brothers and sisters all over the place. We find ourselves scattered all over the world, and we find ourselves being marginalized as we seek to follow Jesus. And so Peter's encouraging this group of people, helping them to stay the course. He's reminding them and reminding us of who we are in Christ and what we have in him. See, when Jesus went to the cross, he went to redeem and rescue men and women from every tribe, every language, every ethnicity, he redeemed them out of the kingdom of darkness, sought to redeem them out of the kingdom of self because of the slavery that we have to sin that put us in that place to redeem us out of that and transfer us to his kingdom, to have redemption and new life in him. And when he did that in your life, when he did that in our world, it changed everything for us. 
Because of that, you now have a new identity as a citizen of a new kingdom. And so it's in light of that that Peter gives us this exhortation on how to live now in our life in verses 11 and 12, 1 Peter chapter 2. He begins by saying, beloved, I urge you. He says, I urge you. He's not writing a suggestion for your life. He's not giving you a recommendation on how to live that you can kind of take or leave depending on how you feel on any given day or any given moment. No, he is imploring you to do what he's about to say. But first we have to see that what he calls us to, the obedience that he calls us to in our life is rooted in the reality of our identity. Notice what he says, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. See, if you are in Christ, you are a citizen of the kingdom of God. And if you're a citizen of the kingdom of God, what that means is that you are a sojourner and exile here and now. This place isn't your home. What exactly is a sojourner and exile? Well, the basic definition for these words is essentially the same. It has the sense of, of being a person who lives in a particular place that isn't his or her true home. To be a temporary resident in a foreign land. How many of you have ever visited a foreign country or lived in a foreign country? Or maybe for some of you, this is a foreign country to you. When you're in a place that isn't your home, when you're in a foreign context, you're aware that things are different for you. You're aware of the differences in culture. The language is different. The smells, the food, sometimes even the values are different. What do we often try to do in those moments, especially if you're there for an extended period of time? We tend to try to blend in, to, to not stick out too much, to not be too different or too noticed for those differences. But what Peter is saying to you here is, I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to blend in. I don't want you to forget that this place isn't your home. I don't want you to forget that you're a sojourner and an exile here. So God's people throughout time in history have often been exiled. You can look throughout the Old Testament and see many times where God's people are exiled. But most often in the Old Testament, the reason that they're exiled is because of disobedience. The reason they're exiled is because of sin, that they've rebelled against God. But in this context, Peter's saying it's the opposite of that. The reason you're in exile here, the reason you're a sojourner now is because you've been rescued out of that. Because if you are in Christ, you are now living not under the reign of this world, not under the reign of a false kingdom, you're living under the redemptive reign of King Jesus. But Peter knows, and Jesus knows though, that as you find yourself in this place, that your tendency is to conform to culture. Your tendency is to conform to the world around you, to try to blend in. And that's especially true when it gets hard following Jesus when it becomes less advantageous for you to claim Christ in a world that's against him. And so he's reminding you, he's reminding us that you've been rescued out of that. And because you've been rescued out of your sin, because you've been made alive in Christ, you are now a sojourner in exile in this place. This place is not your home or your hope. What Peter's calling us to is to see that because you are a kingdom citizen, because you are a sojourner in exile, you're called to live differently here and now. But that's where we can struggle. Sorry. That's where we can struggle with how we are to live in this world. 
we can find ourselves tempted toward either being indistinguishable from the world or isolated from it. And that's because of that, he gives us this twofold exhortation. He says, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to one, abstain from the passions of the flesh, two, to keep your conduct among Gentiles or non-believers honorable. So let's look at both of those things. The first one, he calls us to abstain from the passions of the flesh. The passions of the flesh include any and all desires and appetites, even good ones that have been hijacked by sin. Where sin rules the day, where you seek to feed your flesh in a way that's contrary to the way that God's made you in your new nature in Christ that's contrary to the commands and calling of your king. What he's saying to us is, because this isn't your home, because you are now a citizen of the kingdom of God, don't go back to your old way of living. Don't go back to following the desires of your flesh that you've been rescued out of. Don't be enticed by the empty promises of this world. What he's telling you is, don't become indistinguishable from the world around you. Why is that? He tells us, because they wage war against your soul. See, the kingdom of this world is constantly beckoning you to come back. The kingdom of this world is constantly calling you to join in. We see it all over the place. The culture is constantly preaching at you. It's not ambivalent to how you live your life. It's, it's preaching a message. It's preaching a false gospel to you to find your hope in this life and in this world. It's on social media. It's in advertisements. It's in the news. It's calling you constantly to come back, join in with it. But all of that is chasing after the wind. It's chasing after the wind. There's no hope in it. There's no life in it. It can't sustain you. The false promises of this world are a siren tune. It lures you in. It sounds good and sometimes it feels good, but all along it makes you unaware of the rocks that will completely dash you to pieces. What Peter's saying here is wake up. Wake up, church. Don't be deceived. Don't be unaware that the ways of this world and the passions of your flesh, they're not seeking just to recapture you. They're seeking to destroy you and to defeat you. They're here to wage war against you. As sojourners and exiles, we have to remember who we are in Christ, that we're united with him in faith, that he is our only hope in life and death. That even though sin continues to assert itself against you, even though it seeks to re-enslave you in Christ and through Christ, the power of sin has been broken. And one of the best ways for us to fight against this, to abstain from the passions of the flesh as a sojourner, as an exile, to not be conformed to the patterns of this world, is to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. This means as a sojourner in exile, what this means for your life on a practical level is that you don't get your understanding of how to live your life in this present age from culture, from what the world tells you. As kingdom citizens, we don't take our cues from the world, we take them from our king. So let me ask you, are you striving right now in your life? If you look at a week in your life, a day in your life, are you striving to be informed and influenced on how to live, on how to think more by Jesus in his word or by Fox News or CNN or social media? 
Brothers and sisters, let me encourage you. Let us encourage one another to guard your heart and mind. To guard your heart and mind by daily meditating on God's word, washing your mind, washing your thoughts, washing your heart in Jesus' word to you. That you'd spend time soaking in God's word. And listen, I know some of you right now, that's a difficulty, especially I think of moms of young children where you have a lot going on right now. And right now in this COVID season, everybody's at home all the time and it can seem difficult to spend any time in God's word. Even if it's just one word of God's word, just half a verse, just one verse that you would read and allow that to ruminate in your mind throughout the day, that that would reorient your thinking to the voice of your king rather than the voice of culture. Church, what are some things that are seeking to wage war against your soul right now? Where is the battle in your life, in your heart, in your mind? Whether you already know Jesus and have been following him or you don't yet know Christ, my encouragement to you is the same this morning. Come out of darkness. Come out of darkness and come to Jesus. Repent, turn away from those things and throw yourself on Christ who went to a cross to be crucified for all of your sin and all of your rebellion. Do that today for the first time maybe or for the thousandth time in your life. Jesus' mercies are new for you every single morning. See this world, the things of this world, they're not worth destroying your soul over. There's something far greater, something more glorious, the fullness of of the kingdom of God. And so as kingdom citizens, as sojourners and exiles, Peter calls us here to abstain from the passions of the flesh while we find ourselves here in this world. So that brings up a question for us then. Does that mean that we should remove ourselves from the world then? Should we remove ourselves from the world and kind of circle up the wagons so that the world and culture can't break into our lives or into our families? Should we isolate ourselves from the world so that we don't become indistinguishable from it? Well, Peter tells us the answer in the next verse. And my guess is for some of us, this will be more challenging than the first exhortation. Peter tells us as kingdom citizens, as sojourners and exiles, you should also, verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. What's Peter talking about here? He's telling you that he wants you to keep your everyday, ordinary life honorable and intentional. That you would think about your conduct at work and at home. That you would think about how you drive on the beltway. What you say on the internet in your comment sections or what you're even looking at that you would keep your conduct honorable, intentional in your neighborhood, at your kid's baseball game, at the store, with your friends, that you'd keep the normal stuff, the everyday parts of life, honorable and respectable, above reproach, praiseworthy, that you'd seek to do good for others in the life you found yourself in. But he doesn't want you just to do that for your sake. This isn't just about you. He wants you to do this in a specific context the specific audience in mind. He says he wants you to do this among the Gentiles. And this is a shorthand way of saying non-believers, people who don't yet know Christ. I love the way that the New Living Translation, the NLT, translates the first part of verse 12. It says, be careful how you live among your unbelieving neighbors. 
Be careful how you live among your unbelieving neighbors. Your life and your deeds, your words and your actions reflect the faith you claim and the king you follow. So Peter's telling you, pay attention. Pay attention to how you live your life in your community. Pay attention to how you live your life in this world as representatives of the kingdom of God. Now listen, if we do this, it doesn't mean your life's gonna be easy. It doesn't mean everything's gonna work out well for you. A life of a sojourner in an exile, if you just look throughout history, is often difficult and challenging. Our culture will continue to seek to malign you. Our culture will continue to seek to marginalize you as you follow Jesus. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You've experienced this in your workplace. You've experienced this in your neighborhoods before. But let it be, if they're going to marginalize you and malign you, let it be for following Jesus. Not because you are offensive in and of yourself. Let them be offended by the gospel, not the way that you communicate it. The way you seek to live for Jesus. Did you notice Peter doesn't call us as believers to defend our morality before an immoral world? He doesn't call you or expect for us to expect our world to act moral when they don't follow Jesus. And what he calls you to is to pursue holiness in your life. What he calls you to is to live a life of virtue and goodness, to do good works among and for a watching world. And here's why. Because how you live will back up what you say you believe. How you live will back up what you say you believe. It will show if your hope that you profess with your mouth is real and really is in the king and his kingdom. Brothers and sisters, we should be prepared for attacks on our faith. We should be prepared for attacks on our character. Even people, Peter says, calling us evildoers as we seek to follow Jesus. But we should live in such a way that invalidates those claims, that completely obliterates those claims and instead points to a transformed life that's soaked in the grace of the gospel. A life that's undeniably been transformed by Jesus. And here's the amazing thing that Peter tells us is that when you live this way among your neighbors, when you live this way in the midst of your workplace, in the midst of culture, and your neighbors see your good deeds, some of them will glorify God. Some of them will repent and believe the good news of the kingdom of God. Your kingdom living can actually lead to your neighbor's salvation. Listen, you're being watched. You're being evaluated. You're being judged. Is it clear that you're living for a different purpose in a different kingdom? Is it clear that Jesus alone is your king? As citizens of the kingdom of God, people who are sojourners and exiles in this place, we are called to spread the word of the king and the influence of the kingdom until our king comes again. You and I are called to be so heavenly minded that we are of great earthly good. See, what Peter's calling us to is what Jesus modeled to us and prayed for us. John chapter 17, he prayed that we would be in this world, but not of this world. We'd find ourselves in this world, but not of this world. Do you know Jesus was called a a glutton and a drunkard? Why? It wasn't because he ate too much. It wasn't because he drank in excess. Jesus was called a drunkard and a glutton because he spent time with drunkards and gluttons. He hung out with sinners and sufferers. 
And the accusation made against Jesus wasn't by non-believers. It wasn't by people who don't yet know Christ. They weren't looking at Jesus saying, Jesus, I don't want to have anything to do with you because you are hanging out with us. No, that accusation was made by the religious elite, by those that thought that isolating was the way to go. See, it's possible to be in this world and not of this world, and Jesus modeled that for us. He showed us that. You and I can live among our neighbors and continue to follow the call and commands of our King. So what does this look like practically? One of the best examples that we see in Scripture of living as a sojourner in exile is in Jeremiah chapter 29. In Jeremiah chapter 29, a lot of us, if you've been around the church for a while, know Jeremiah 29, 11. Some of you probably have it as your email signature line or it's on a coffee mug or something like that. But the context of Jeremiah 29 is interesting. It's encouraging for us. Because what's going on is, is God's people have been placed in exile. And these false prophets have come along and said, hey, don't unpack your bags. Just kind of stay hanging out with one another because this is all going to end soon. But then Jeremiah comes along and he says, that's not true. You're going to be here for a while. You're going to be in exile for many years. So what I actually am calling you to do to be faithful is unpack your bags. He tells them to move into the neighborhoods. He tells them to plant gardens. He tells them to see their kids married. He tells them to do good for their city, to live for the welfare of their city, this pagan city that doesn't worship their God. He says, I want you to do good in this place because it'll be good for you too. As kingdom citizens, we need to be present and active in this world. We need to engage and not isolate We need to do good in this place that God has placed us in. But that's not in order to build some kind of utopia here. It's not to try and make everything right and good here because until Jesus comes again, that won't be the case. But because our king calls us to do this, that's why we do this. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. We're called to be merciful and do good to those around us. What that means practically in our life is that we strive to live a life that's governed not by one particular political platform, but to live a life that's governed by the wisdom of the kingdom of God, to live a life that's governed by the ethics of the kingdom of God, the hope of the kingdom of God. And here's what happens when you do this in your life. When you live life like this, when you seek to do good to those around you, when you seek to represent the king and bring the word of the king and the influence of the kingdom around your neighbors and and around this world, what's gonna happen is, is that you are going to confound the political left and the political right. That someone on the political right's gonna look at the things that you care about and say, yes, I totally agree with you, that's right. At the very same time, another way that you live and how you treat people, somebody on the political left is going to look at you and say, yes, I totally agree with you. I'm so confused by you. You're confusing me. How can those people over there agree with you and how can I also agree with you? We should confound the political left and the right. We should care about life from the womb to the tomb, no matter what color somebody's skin is. We should care about justice in our world and see injustices go away. We should care about moral order order in our culture and world. We should care about our environment and immigration. We should care about criminal justice reform in our culture. We should seek to do what our king calls us to, 
not some political platform calls us to. If you're curious about learning more about this, if you are confused about how do I be confusing to those on the left and the right, let me encourage you to check out the AND campaign, A-N-D. They have a new book out called Compassion and Conviction. It talks about how do we engage civically in our world as we seek to follow King Jesus. Listen, if you feel politically homeless right now, that's okay. I would say it's probably even a good thing if you feel politically homeless right now because the kingdom of God and its kingdom citizens, we don't fit nicely into any category, to any political party, any category cultures created for us. That's what it means to be a sojourner. That's what it means to be an exile. You are ruled by a different king in a different kingdom. Instead, you have to remember that as a sojourner, as an exile, you will never fully align with anything in this present age. And that's okay, because your king and, your, and his kingdom are far greater and far better. Now, obviously, the election is coming up soon, in about a month, a little less than a month now. How does being a sojourner how does being a kingdom citizen impact how you vote? It doesn't tell you who to vote for. There's nothing in scripture that I can point to that says this is the specific person that I should vote for. What it tells you is, is to strive to do the best with your vote for the good of your neighbor, and the good of your city, and the good of your country. It tells you to do so by faith. It tells you to do so with a clear conscience in a way that glorifies your God and your king. What this means then is that some of you are going to vote differently than others of you. And that's okay. Because how you vote doesn't make you a Christian or not a Christian. Only Jesus does that. And he's the Lord of your conscience. And listen, no matter what happens on November the 3rd or however long it takes for us to know what's going to actually take place, whether you're elated or devastated by the outcome of the election, please remember this, Jesus is king. Jesus is king and he always will be king. Princes will come and go, presidents will come and go, but Jesus will last forever. May we take hope in that truth, in that reality. Brothers and sisters, our world is in turmoil right now. And we have an opportunity. We have a unique opportunity right now in the midst of tumultuous times. We have an opportunity to be a beacon of light and a beacon of hope in a dark and polarized culture. We have an opportunity to do this, though, not by offering platitudes or social media posts, by speaking of our king and his kingdom. By speaking of our king and his kingdom, the one who lived and died to rescue and redeem and restore. To do that, you can't isolate yourself. You can't circle up the wagons. See, this text assumes something about your life. It assumes that as a sojourner and as an exile, you're actually living life with and among people who don't yet know Christ. That you're really engaging with them so they can actually observe your life. See the good things you do. So I think one of the most practical ways for us to be faithful to doing this is that you and I would actually strive to be great neighbors to our actual neighbors. That we'd be great coworkers in the midst of our workplaces. 
For me personally, in my own life, my wife Amy and I, as we look back over our life, realize that at certain points, we haven't done a very good job of this. We, we haven't been intentional to be the kind of neighbors that God has called us to be. And it's hard to do this. Sometimes life gets full. We feel busy. We realize that sometimes we're spending a whole lot more time with Christians doing church activities instead of with our neighbors, doing life with them. Sometimes it can be intimidating to engage people that think differently than you, that live differently than you, that have a different worldview than you do. But then by God's grace, we realize something. His spirit showing us, his people revealing to us that Jesus spent most of his time with sinners. He came to seek and to save the lost. And I want to follow my king. And I hope you do too. And I realized, we realized that at this part, in this portion of our life, we weren't doing that in the way that he had called us to. And so that led us to make intentional change in our life, both in how we were living and where we were living. It's one of the reasons we planted a church in Fairfax. It's one of the reasons we moved into the city of Fairfax. We did that intentionally. We wanted to get to know our neighbors, have real relationships with them, that we might love them well and serve them well and talk to them about our king and his kingdom. So over the last several years, we've strived to do that. We eat meals regularly with our neighbors. And when they come over to our house, and I know it's a weird time right now to have people over, but in the grand scheme of things, this is how we're called to live life. We have them over to our house and we want to serve good food and good drink and enjoy time with them. We hang out outside often with our community. We sought to build real relationships with them, talk to them about life, hear what's going on in their world. God has done some awesome things through that. We've had opportunities to serve our neighbors, to be served by our neighbors. We've shared the gospel with them. We've prayed with them and for them. We've encouraged them. We've been encouraged by them. We've talked about our king, and we've sought to live with the influence of the kingdom among them. To live honestly and authentically, not acting like everything's perfect in our life. We share our heartaches and our difficulties, our struggles with kids and life and all the things that are going on. We've tried to live with them and before them. We've sought to be involved in the wider community. My kids play in rec leagues, play in Fairfax Little League Baseball, and I always am there to try and coach and be a part of that community, not just because we love baseball, but because we want to get to know people. We spend Hours every week just hanging out with people in this community, striving to reflect the good news of the kingdom of God in any way that we can. Do we get it perfect? No, absolutely not. Can we engage more purposefully in our lives? Of course. Do we want to isolate sometimes and pull back? Yes. But we are striving to keep living among our neighbors for the sake of sowing the word of the kingdom of God, sowing that seed that Mark preached on a few weeks ago until our king comes again. Brothers and sisters, I want all of us to strive for this. I want all of us to strive to know the people who live around us, to know our coworkers, and not just their first names, but actually know details about their life, know what's going on, know where their pains are, know where their struggles are, know where they're wrestling with things in their life right now, to enter into it. Together, I want us to be sojourners in real relationships with real people who really need to know the good news of our king and his kingdom. So if you aren't doing that right now, 
If that doesn't reflect your life right now, if you don't know your neighbor's names or what's going on in their lives, I want to encourage you to spend time this week just asking, why is that? Why is that what my life looks like right now? Maybe it's because of fear. Maybe it's because you've been rejected in the past by your neighbors and it hasn't gone well. Maybe it's uncertainty. You don't know what's going to happen as you seek to build a relationship. Maybe it's apathy or or laziness. I don't know what it is for you, but I want you to take time this week to pray about that and consider it. Pray for help and remember your identity. You are a sojourner in exile. You are a kingdom citizen. But God has placed you where you live and where you work on purpose. Acts chapter 17, Paul tells us that the time and place of your existence is a providential thing. It's a God's sovereign work in your life. You live where you live on purpose because God saw fit for you to be there. The street you live on, the neighborhood you're in, the apartment complex that you're in, the place you work right now, God has placed you there sovereignly. You are one of the most important people in your neighborhood. You're one of the most important people in your workplace, not because you're a great person, but because as a sojourner, as an exile, you're also an ambassador for the king called to share the good news of his kingdom. You have the best news in all the world to share. Listen, your neighbors, your coworkers, they're gonna talk about you. They're gonna talk about you behind your back. You may even seem a little strange to them at times. May it be even a little weird at times for the things you do and the things you think and the things you believe. They may even say wrong things about you, hurtful things about you, slanderous things about you. But on the last day, On the last day, one of the things they say about you is that you told them about King Jesus. That you spoke of the kingdom of God. This takes time. It takes effort. Sometimes it's really hard. But this is what our king is calling us to do. And he gives you grace to do it in a community of people that are sitting here this morning, that are gathering online to encourage us together to be who God's called us to be. So brothers and sisters, make a plan, take a step in this direction. Maybe for some of you, the first thing that you can do is just take a walk around your neighborhood and pray for your neighbors. You can think about your coworkers and pray for them by name. God will do amazing things as we bring them before him in prayer. I mean, what might God do in us and through us if we live like this? What might he do in us and through us in our community as we strive to be sojourners and exiles? What might he do as we seek to be kingdom citizens among our neighbors? Might he pour out his spirit in a fresh way in this place? Might he bring revival amongst this community in Fairfax County? That we'd see the 1.2 million people here fall on their knees and praise the name of Jesus. Because his people are out there living among them, talking about and bringing the influence of the kingdom of God. Might this world that's full of bad news right now, where everyone's looking on Twitter or Facebook or social media in some way, reading blog posts and news stories that continue to be bad news upon bad news, here's some good news from you. That our king rules and reigns, and he will come again. This is a significant time in the history of our country, but it's a blip on the screen in the eternal reality of the kingdom of God. So take heart, friends. Take heart and live like a sojourner in an exile. Live like a kingdom citizen. Live unstained from this world and in such a way among your neighbors 
Then when they see your good deeds, it will compel them to glorify our God and King when he comes again to make all things new. Brothers and sisters, may we be so heavenly minded that we are of great earthly good. As a first act of response to the preaching of God's word this morning, I want to invite us to take communion together. I don't want you to run off and do anything. I want you to be reminded of what Jesus has done for you. The mercy he's shown you, the grace he's given to you. You didn't figure it out. You weren't smart enough to realize you needed Jesus. He sought and saved you. And this meal is a reminder of that, to both remind you and refresh you. It's a meal of grace and encouragement. As you eat the bread this morning, a picture of Jesus' body broken for you. As you drink the cup this morning, a a picture of Jesus' blood shed for you. May your soul be refreshed. May you be reminded of where your home and your hope is. May you be reminded of what Jesus did to grant you citizenship in his kingdom. And may it compel you and I to go and live as a sojourner in exile, to be in the world but not of the world for the glory of God and for the good of others. Now, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I'm so glad that you're here this morning. But we'll just ask you not to take communion this morning because if that's not your confession that Jesus is king and he's Lord, then this doesn't mean anything for you. And so instead, I want to invite you to take Christ today, that you would recognize that you've been placing your hope in this world and it's coming up short. You turn away from that, place your faith in Jesus today. And if you have questions about what it means to know Christ or follow him, please come up and speak to me afterwards. I'd love to talk with you, pray with you, but there's a parking lot full of people this morning that would love to also talk to you about Jesus. Six feet away, but would love to speak to you about that. For those of you that are going to take communion together this morning, you have the elements in your hands. We're not gonna take that all together because I want you to be led by the Spirit to take it this morning. Some of you need to repent first. Some of you just need to give praise and thanks and rejoice first. But as you eat the bread and as you drink the cup, may your soul be encouraged and let's stand up and sing together after we've done that with one another. Let's pray. God, we come before you this morning and we recognize that you are a God of mercy. And God, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your help in time of need. And God, we need you right now. God, would you forgive us for where we haven't been faithful sojourners? Will you forgive us for where we've been too caught up in either being indistinguishable from the world or isolated from it? Help us, God, by the power of your spirit, the community of your people to be in this world but not of it. Empower us to spread the word of our king and the influence of his kingdom until he comes again. God, would you help us to be okay not fitting in? While we do it, give us grace. Lead us, King Jesus. Lead us by your spirit that we might make much of you. God, bring revival. Bring spiritual awakening to this place. God, allow us the privilege to be a part of seeing that take place. We love you. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you that no matter what happens in the days to come, King Jesus is sitting on the throne. We pray all this in his name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this sermon from Sojourn Fairfax. If you have any questions, please feel free to email us at info at sojournfairfax.com. Go in peace.